0: Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myaskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business.
1: Good morning, Tim. Thank you very much for joining me today on a very rainy morning uh, for the Insurance Brokers Podcast. It's great to have you here. Do you want to introduce yourself and perhaps a little bit about the topic of consumer duty and why we're talking about it today?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, look, my name is Tim Chadwick. I'm the uh, Group Chief Risk Officer at PIB Group. Uh, so I've been at PIB now for just over just over three years uh, prior to that, undertook a number of uh, different roles at uh, Jardine Lloyd-Thompson, uh, Willis, Aon, and also a bit further back in, in my uh, career, uh, the first 10 years of it was spent with uh, Roland Samuel Lines.
1: Fabulous. So talk to me about why we are talking about consumer duty today.
0: Okay, so consumer duty is one of the key flagship initiatives that the FCA has launched, so this this, among amongst uh, other things like, for example, the strengthening of the rules around appointed representatives and the ongoing work in terms of product governance. Consumer duties, um, you know, one of those key initiatives that the FCA are looking to bring in during the course of uh, 2023, which obviously means that the majority of the work has got to start right now.
1: Why are they looking at introducing you've mentioned there's sort of a a whole a myriad of of things that are are moving mm-hmm. towards a particular place. Why are they looking to introduce this new regulation?
0: Yeah, no good question um you know some people say, well hang on a minute haven't we got treating customers fairly haven't we had conduct risk you know so so why why are they introducing this consumer duty and why now um I mean, look, a lot of a lot of brokers. In fact, I think the vast majority of brokers do a great job for their clients. You know, they have the client at the heart of their business, and you know, they're always working for the best interest of the client. And in fact, the the FCA recognise that. The FCA, you know, acknowledge that. They say that they see a lot of examples of good practice. Perhaps the most disappointingly, they continue to see in continue to say in their words that you know they find that they're still seeing too many firms that are not looking after their customers and they give a few examples of that they talk about um selling products and services that are not fit for purpose and they're not designed for the target market they talk about selling products that don't deliver fair value again another really key theme that's come out of uh you know the product governance work Um, also about um providing customers with pool support that hinders them from taking action. So they, they draw out a number number of things. But also if you look at the broader context, um so back in uh, 2020 the FCA did a financial life survey. And one of one of the one of the key metrics, and bear in mind this isn't specific to the broking sector, this is you know financial services more broadly, the finding was that only thirty five percent of financial services firms were seen to be honest and transparent in their dealings with the clients, which is very, very, very low and is you know quite damning. So you know when you put all of that together, what what the FCA are trying to do through the duty is to try and usher in uh, higher standards, higher standards around making sure that customers are looked after. So in a nutshell, what the regulator are really looking for firms to do is to put themselves in customers' shoes, and to to make sure that they're uh, focused on good customer outcomes, and really importantly, that it's part of their firm's culture. So this isn't this isn't some box ticking exercise. You know, there's very clear expectations around culture, and around importantly, the role of the board in all of this.
1: So, and forgive me if if you've kind of covered this, but. Um... But I'm not the expert that you are. Um, what is the difference between this specific duty, and you've mentioned conduct risk and tcF what what are the yeah, specific yeah. differences
0: yeah i mean it's a, it's a good question. Um, you know when i when I look at consumer duty, what I see is really a continuation and an evolution of similar themes and some of the thinkings. but you know maybe to draw out a, a few differences. You know, For me, the consumer duty seems to be much more um, outcomes orientated would be one thing. Uh, another key point of difference for me is I think it places a, a clearer responsibility on firms um, to ensure that customers are uh, receiving good customer outcomes all of the time there's an increased focus, I think I touched on, you know, the importance of the board. So there's an increased focus on the board, you know, for example, they have to receive a report at least annually, and challenge it to ensure that they're, uh, that they're comfortable that um, their firm is meeting the requirements of the duty. And not only meeting it, but also, there's a sort of an increased requirement, I think, with the consumer duty around making sure that they can evidence it, which I know is a common theme in regulation more generally. But You know, I think those are some of perhaps the key differences. So it's not something that's completely new, but actually it is taking things up uh, a couple of levels.
1: It feels to me from just from this conversation that um, it's a concerted effort to move things from tick box to embedded in culture. Is that have I read that wrong? No, I don't
0: think so. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, looking at conduct risk and looking at TCF, there's always a, a kind of a, a cultural angle to it. But I think, I think, yeah, there is more of an emphasis with the consumer duty about this really being embedded across the whole fabric of the organisation.
1: So, does the regulation actually apply to consumers? <laughs>
0: um, so the short answer is we need to we need to kind of. Um, we need to think about what, uh, what consumers actually are. I mean, it's a bit of a misnomer calling it the consumer duty um, because it might lead you to believe that actually it just really applies to personal insurance customers. And that's simply not the case. So it applies to all, in the FCA's words, retail customers. Now, this definition includes uh, both private uh, individuals and also SME customers. Now there's a bit of a wrinkle in that the FCA don't define SME customers but I think what we can draw from this is look the consumer duty will apply to uh, both personal and commercial customers largely right there are some exclusions so for example it doesn't apply to reinsurance customers Um, it doesn't apply to contracts of large risk so that's things like marine aviation transport classes you know some really large uh, commercial policyholders you know, those are typically, um, you know, poly, uh, firms with say more than 250 employees, you know, more than about 12.8 uh, million euros of revenue and a balance sheet over just over 6 million euros. So, you know, there are, there are some exceptions, but I think the key point maybe is that actually no, the, the consumer duty, irrespective of what it's called, has very broad appeal and it applies certainly in most organisations and most of their customers.
1: I'm very impressed at the massive amount of knowledge in your head, just being able to, you know, I mean, those are quite specific exclusions with very specific numbers. So I'm very impressed. I just wanted to say that. I was I was muddled numbers up when I tried to do that. And um, what actually is the duty? I know that might be a bit of a broad question, but if, no, I'm, I mean, if I'm a broker and I'm listening to this, what is the duty yeah, that is imposed really, on
0: me? You? you know, it's a, it's a broad question and it's a broad answer. So, you know, the. I guess the first point is the uh, consumer duty isn't a single thing. So it's not a single thing. It's a package, a package of measures. So let's do it in numbers. So there is one new principle, right? And that's that firms must demonstrate that they can meet uh, this new principle, which is they must deliver good outcomes for retail clients. So that's the first thing. There are three cross cutting rules. And these really focus on three key behaviours. So the three co- cross cutting rules cover acting in good faith. So that that means that, for example, firms are required to act uh, openly and honestly and to address the imbalance in knowledge and expertise, obviously between them and their clients. Uh, the second cross cutting rule is around uh, avoiding foreseeable harm. So the regulator the regulator isn't saying, you know, firms have got to avoid harmful stuff. I think there's a, there's realism bait within it, but they're saying actually, no, firms should be thinking forwards and through their risk management, you know, they should be identifying areas of foreseeable harm and they should be preventing that. And, you know, foreseeable harm, you know, might be in terms of an example, you know, to include ensuring that you're providing fair descriptions of benefits and exclusions. Because obviously that's something that's quite foreseeable if it isn't there third third piece is to enabling and support uh, supporting retail customers pursue the financial objectives. so this is all about really uh, empowering consumers to make choices for themselves and to remain responsible for their own decisions but obviously firms and brokers particularly have uh, a key role to play in that in terms of supporting them and you know, for example, making sure that they've got the right information at the right time that really facilitates consumers being able to make those kinds of decisions. The next number is four outcomes. So there are four outcomes associated with uh, the consumer duty, and these are new rules and guidance setting out the sort of, the more detailed expectations about how firms should conduct themselves. So. Uh, the four are products and services so a real focus on that and that's you know for example making sure that uh, firms ensure that the products that they either design or that they have meet customer needs and that they perform the way that they're intended to perform and they're sold who they should be sold to so the right target market the second is around price and value so again this this really goes back Sarah to the the theme theme the broader theme that is out there around you know the provision of fair value so it's making sure that firms assess the price and the value equation on an annual basis the third one is around uh, consumer understanding so again this is going back to making sure that they've got the right information at the right time it's appropriate for the kind of customer that they are you know that the information is clear it's transparent And also, importantly, that firms actively consider vulnerable customers. And again, you know, the things that they may need to put in place to ensure that vulnerable customers, you know, who may have particular needs, um, those needs are met through, you know, the communications that they produce and have and the engagements that they have with them. And fourthly, um, consumer support. So this is, for example, making sure that support's responsive, that it's accessible, Uh, it's appropriate, you know, that for example um, uh, post-sales support is as good as sales support and also there's no unreasonable barriers to, for example, customers cancelling products post-purchase. So those those really are the sort of the core elements of the duty. Um, But also in addition to that, there's a couple of things that are probably worth mentioning as well. The first is um, there's also a new conduct rule. So this conduct rule sets out that all colleagues, so not, not the firm, all colleagues must act to deliver good outcomes for retail customers. So that's for everyone. So everyone who works in a broken firm needs to needs to uh, be able to adhere to that going forwards. And the, the other thing that's probably worth mentioning is um, the expectation of the regulator that um, boards will appoint uh, a consumer duty champion. So, those are the those are the kind of the main the main things wrapped up in the consumer duty.
1: I think the way you've uh, you, the way you've described it there is really helpful with the numerical one, three, four, and then two additionals. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I think that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, you've mentioned something that I just want to touch on. You sure. said various points coming in through twenty twenty three. So, my question is, yeah, yeah. when does the duty come in, and what aspects should we be looking at now?
0: so you know as you can pro- as you can probably uh, tell from the sort of the breadth of the stuff that goes in there this is a big chunk of work so there is quite a tight deadline from my perspective in terms of you know looking at looking at all of these elements of the duty and making sure that uh, certainly the firms the firms that, uh, that I look after are are up to speed and in in a good place. The deadline the deadline for the consumer duty is the 31st of July 2023 so like I said it's not that long there's a piece of work to be done but the early deadline really relates to actually you know last month so by the end of October the FCA's requirement was that all firms will have had in effect a consumer duty implementation plan in place and reviewed and approved and challenged by the board. So those those are the sort of two the two key uh, two key deadlines that I pull out for you.
1: So by now, firms should already have an implement an implementation plan yeah. to yeah. Uh, uh, bring in the consumer duty in all aspects that has been tested by the board. So my question is: There's a lot of people listening to this that might be cool. a one man band or a very small. Um, uh, you know, uh, less than twenty employees insurance broker, for example. Yeah. Uh, how do they test it themselves? Uh, what does testing mean, and what should be in an implement- implementation plan?
0: Okay, so going back to the board, you know, the board, the board need to. The expectation is the board will look at the plan against their consumer duty and say, right, okay. You know, are we confident as a board that this is going to deliver the obligations set out within the duty by the 31st of July? So it, it's, it's challenging, challenging uh, the plan and making sure that it's covering all of the different elements. I think it's the first point. Uh, the second point is in terms of the plan itself. Yeah, you know, I think certainly, you know, within my own firm, and I know uh, from some of the other CROs that um, uh, you know that I have contact with, you know, there was quite a discussion about. So, what what is the plan? You know, how detailed should the plan be? So, is it in effect a plan for a plan, or is it something very detailed? And I think the the honest and the pragmatic way of looking at this is to say it's it's probably somewhere in between. So just having a plan to say, we will have a plan isn't gonna fly. And actually if the regulator requested a copy of a firm's plan, my, my own sense is that that probably wouldn't land well. But I also think given the breadth and the scale of this, it's, it's unrealistic to say you're gonna have an incredibly detailed plan at this stage. So that's why I say it's probably somewhere between those two. It's certainly not a plan for a plan. There's some work that I think most firms will have to do, in terms of assessment and going into some real, de- real detail, that will then pull out more detailed actions that need to be that need to be addressed. But I think that's that's probably that's probably a good way of of framing it. In terms of what should it cover, I mean, this is an interesting question in itself because you know, arguably, you know, you could structure a plan around each of those numbers. So you know, the, could, the plan could be structured around the principle, the cross-cutting rules, the four outcomes, et cetera. However, certainly when, when we've looked at it, the conclusion that we reached is if you adopted that kind of structure for a plan, there's probably going to be a lot of overlap in terms of actions between each of those areas. So that's not to say that approaching it in that way would be wrong, but just from a personal perspective, the approach that made more sense to me is to really look at structuring a plan around the kind of the kind of things that should be covered so you know to give you an example the kind of the kind of headings that we've that we've used in PIB are around the changes that we'll need to make and the considerations around things like governance risk and compliance so that might be that might be around for example uh, looking at making sure that our board and committee's terms of reference include uh, the consumer duty it might be looking at our risk framework and saying right again does our risk framework fully account for um, you know, the risks and also the intended outcomes of the consumer duty it might be re-looking at some of our compliance policies other things could be smcr so again thinking about incorporating the consumer duty in terms of statements of responsibility you know awareness and training another really key work stream from my perspective you know there's a lot of work to do in terms of communications and training both for you know specific audiences like uh, the board or for example all staff you know if we think about going back to that uh, uh, conduct rule that affects all of us you know there needs to be some training around that so that all of our colleagues understand what the conduct rule is aiming to achieve but also you know how that how that translates into practice mm-hmm. other things are around assurance and quality uh, and quality assurance and for example management information so again what management information do you currently have is that going to give you what you need again in terms of uh, informing the board of whether or not you know, the firm is meeting the obligations of the duty, it's around, other things are around product governance, uh, sales, you know, post sales, and then also appointed representatives as well, you know, so again, are there going to need to be changes in those kinds of areas? Um, I mean, maybe if I give you a couple of examples as well for say the sales piece and the post sales. So, you know, Certainly, the kind of things to maybe think about in terms of sales are you know, broker remuneration and conflicts of interest, uh, you know, the sales journey, fair value, charges and fees, again, vulnerable customers, um, key sales communication and documentation, and also uh, one of the important things coming out of the duty is around almost the question, so how do you know that your key sales communications and documentations are fit for purpose? So there's an element of the duty that talks about testing so I think that you know certainly um, you you get feedback on some of the communications that you have but there's more of a proactive obligation now to say how do we how do we actually know we think we think what we've done is very clear and it's simple and straightforward but how do we know how do we know that so there's more of a proactive obligation I think Um, in terms of post sales it's things like looking at your service levels. So going back to the point I mentioned earlier, you know, are our post-sales service levels as good as what a customer would receive at kind of new business stage? You know, it's about thinking around things like uh, the ease of cancellation. Uh, You know, how easy is it to cancel a policy once it's been taken out and actually exit the relationship? Um, You know, it's about thinking about complaints, again, vulnerable customers post-sales communications and documentation and gain the testing element to that as well. Um, So those are kind of practical things that, you know, when you're looking at addressing the duty and planning for it, those are some of the kinds of flavors of things that you may want to look at.
1: I think that's really helpful to have some practical examples Um, gives people uh, some meat to to get into. So what I'm thinking is people listening to this Mm -hmm. sounds like um a lot of work and it is Mm -hmm. but it's a lot of work that you need to be starting now if you haven't already and a great place to start would be this one three four figure but don't look at that verbatim look at that in terms of what you already do and what your obligations already are and work backwards so that you're not doing some overlap and crossover of of certain areas that almost certainly do
0: and and you know look people i think the important point to uh, take away as well is that you know in terms of meeting the obligations of the duty, no firms should be starting from scratch. So this is building on building on things that firms should already have in place, you know, for conduct risk, treating customers fairly, and importantly, the product governance. Because fair value, you know, going back to the outcomes, you know, products and services and price and value have a key relationship to to all the work that firms will have been undertaking, you know, over the past 12, 18 months in terms of product governance and the GI pricing practices work.
1: Just um, before before we leave, there's one more question I've got for you. You mentioned uh, a few minutes ago the consumer duty champion. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that is and why firms need to have one?
0: Yeah, so, so uh, I mean, personally, I don't like the name consumer duty champion, but I, I've kind of got to get over that. Um, the FCA want, you yeah, they want good outcomes to be central to, Uh, the culture of firms and the strategy and the the objectives and the purpose of firms. So there is this expectation that um, at board level, uh, firms will have this consumer duty champion and preferably a non-executive director. Now, obviously not all firms will have non-executive directors. So there's obviously a thought process to go through to say, well, actually, who should it be? But I guess it comes back to really understanding the role. And there there is a little bit of guidance in terms of what this role should uh, should be that the FCA provide. Um, But it's really around ensuring that uh, the consumer duty lens is applied to board discussions. You know, it's about ensuring that the board is challenging how the firm is embedding consumer duty and again, focusing on those uh, consumer outcomes. You know, it's about ensuring the efficacy of management information that again helps the board to actually understand whether or not the obligations are been met um, it's it's about ensuring that you know the culture of the organization is appropriate and is in line with you know providing and delivering good outcomes for customers and it's also um, about i well this is this is my sort of interpretation of it and some of the some of the things that I'm looking for out of our uh, consumer duty champions it's also about sponsoring an annual consumer duty assessment and report to the board which is something we've not touched on thus far but again that's a that's another requirement coming out of this work that on an annual basis the board will sit down and actually assess whether or not the firm is meeting those obligations in you know quite a formal way. So there's a report that's got to be in place to back that up. So um, that, that's a, those are the kind of things that I'd see the consumer duty champion doing. But in a nutshell, it's about making sure that you know this consumer duty lens is applied to all the different facets of and the facets and areas of the board uh, discussions that they have.
1: Fabulous, Tim. The knowledge that's in your head is incredible. And I'm really grateful to have had you on uh, to talk to us uh, this morning. Um, I, If anybody's listening that has any questions about the consumer duty or anything that's come out of what we've said, please get in contact with me and I will do my best to twist Tim's arm to come back on the podcast and we can answer any of those questions. So I'm really grateful to have had you on this morning. Thank you very yeah. much. No and... Uh, Hope it's been useful for those listening. Thank
0: you.
1: Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have enjoyed
0: what you have heard, have any questions or feedback, please leave us a review and we will be sure to get back to you. If you would like further information on how Boston Tullis Group can support your business, or if you would like to join us on an episode, please do not hesitate to contact us.